Chapter Seven of *The Girl from Montana* by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven: Bad News. They found rest for the night at the ranch house. The place was wide and hospitable. The girl looked about her with wonder on the comfortable arrangements for work. If only her mother had had such a kitchen to work in, and such a pleasant, happy home, she might have been living yet. There was a pleasant-faced, sweet-voiced woman with gray hair whom the men called Mother. She gave the girl a kindly welcome and made her sit down to a nice warm supper, and when it was over, led her to a little room where her own bed was and told her she might sleep with her. The girl lay down in a maze of wonder, but was too weary with the long ride to keep awake and think about it. They slept, the two travelers, a sound and dreamless sleep, wherein seemed peace and moonlight and forgetting of sorrows. Early the next morning, the girl awoke. The woman by her side was already stirring. There was breakfast to get for the men. The woman asked her a few questions about her journey. "'He's your brother, ain't he, dearie?' asked the woman as she was about to leave the room. "'No,' said the girl. "'Oh,' said the woman, puzzled. "'Then you and he's going to be married in the town.' Oh, no, said the girl with scarlet cheeks, thinking of the lady in the automobile. Not going to be married, dearie? Now that's too bad. Ain't he any kind of relation to you? Not an uncle, nor cousin, nor nothing? No. Then how bees you travelin' alone with him? It don't seem just right. You're a sweet good girl, and he's a fine man. But harm's come to more'n one. Would you take up with each other? Be he a neighbor? He looks like a man from way off, not hereabouts. You sure he ain't deceiving you, dearie? The girl flashed her eyes in answer. Yes, I'm sure. He's a good man. He prays to our father. No, he's not a neighbor, nor an uncle, nor a cousin. He's just a man that got lost. We were both lost on the prairie in the night, and he's from the east, and got lost from his party of hunters. He had nothing to eat, but I had so I gave him some. Then he saved my life when a snake almost stung me. He's been good to me. The woman looked relieved. And where you going, dearie, all alone? What your folks thinking about to let you go alone this way? They're dead, said the girl with great tears in her eyes. Dearie me, and you so young. Say, dearie, suppose you stay here with me. I'm lonesome, and there's no women nearby here. You could help me and be company. The men would like to have a girl round. There's plenty likely men on this ranch could make a good home for a girl sometime. Stay here with me, dearie. Had this refuge been offered the girl during her first flight in the wilderness, with what joy and thankfulness she would have accepted. Now it suddenly seemed a great impossibility for her to stay. She must go on. She had a pleasant ride before her and delightful companionship and she was going to school. The world was wide, and she had entered it. She had no mind to pause thus on the threshold, and never see further than Montana. Moreover, the closing words of the woman did not please her. "'I cannot stay,' she said decidedly. "'I'm going to school, and I do not want a man. I have just run away from a man, a dreadful one. I am going to school in the East. I have some relations there.' and perhaps I can find them. You don't say so, said the woman, looking disappointed. 
she had taken a great fancy to the sweet young face. "'Well, dearie, why not stay here a little while, and write to your folks, and then go on with someone who is going your way? I don't like to see you go off with that man. It ain't the proper thing. He knows it himself. I'm afraid he's deceiving you. I can see by his clothes he's one of the fine young fellows that does as they please. He won't think any good of you if you keep traveling alone with him.' It's all well enough when you get lost, and he was nice to help you out and save you from snakes. But he knows he ain't no business traveling alone with you, you pretty little creature. You must not talk so, said the girl, rising and flashing her eyes again. He's a good man. He's what my brother called a white man all through. Besides, he's got a lady, a beautiful lady, in the east. She rides in some kind of a grand carriage that goes of itself and he thinks a great deal of her. The woman looked as if she were but half convinced. It may seem all right to you, dearie, she said sadly, but I'm old, and I've seen things happen. You'd find his fine lady wouldn't go jotting round the world alone with him unless she's married. I've lived east, and I know, and what's more, he knows it too. He may mean all right, but you never can trust folks. The woman went away to prepare breakfast then, and left the girl feeling as if the whole world was against her, trying to hold her. She was glad when the man suggested that they hurry their breakfast and get away as quickly as possible. She did not smile when the old woman came out to bid her good-bye and put a detaining hand on the horse's bridle, saying, "'You better stay with me after all, hadn't you, dearie?' The man looked inquiringly at the two women and saw like a flash the suspicion of the older woman, read the trust and haughty anger in the beautiful younger face, and then smiled down on the old woman, whose kindly hospitality had saved them for a while from the terrace of the open night, and said, "'Don't you worry about her, Auntie. I'm going to take good care of her, and perhaps she'll write you a letter some day and tell you where she is and what she's doing.' Half reassured, the old woman gave him her name and address, and he wrote them down in a little red notebook." When they were well started on their way, the man explained that he had hurried because from conversation with the men he had learned that this ranch where they had spent the night was on the direct trail from Malta to another small town. It might be that the pursuers would go further than Malta. Did she think they would go so far? They must have come almost a hundred miles already. Would they not be discouraged? But the girl looked surprised. A hundred miles on horseback was not far. Her brother often used to ride a hundred miles just to see a fight or have a good time. She felt sure the men would not hesitate to follow a long distance if something else did not turn them aside. The man's face looked sternly out from under his wide hat. He felt a great responsibility for the girl since he had seen the face of the man who was pursuing her. Their horses were fresh, and the day was fine. They rode hard as long as the road was smooth and did little talking. The girl was turning over in her mind the words the woman had spoken to her. But the thing that stuck there and troubled her was, and he knows it is so. Was she doing something for which this man by her side would not respect her? Was she overstepping some unwritten law of which she had never heard, and did he know it, and yet encourage her in it? That she need fear him in the least, she would not believe. Had she not watched the look of utmost respect on his face, as he stood quietly waiting for her to awake the first morning they had met. Had he not had opportunity again and again 
to show her dishonor by word or look, yet he had never been anything but gentle and courteous to her. She did not call things by these names, but she felt the gentleman in him. Besides, there was the lady. He had told about her at the beginning. He evidently honored the lady. The woman had said that the lady would not ride with him alone. Was it true? Would he not like to have the lady ride alone with him when she was not his relative in any way? Then was there a difference between his thought of the lady and of herself? Of course there was some. He loved the lady. But he should not think less honorably of her than of any lady in the land. She sat straight and proudly in her man's saddle and tried to make him feel that she was worthy of respect. She had tried to show him this when she had shot the bird. Now she recognized that there was a fine something, higher than shooting or prowess of any kind, which would command respect. It was something she felt belonged to her, yet she was not sure she commanded it. What did she lack, and how could she secure it? He watched her quiet, thoughtful face, and the lady of his former troubled thoughts was as utterly forgotten by him as if she had never existed. He was unconsciously absorbed in the study of eye and lip and brow. His eyes were growing accustomed to the form and feature of this girl beside him, and he took pleasure in watching her. They stopped for lunch in a coulee under a pretty cluster of cedar trees a little back from the trail, where they might look over the way they had come and be warned against pursuers. About three o'clock they reached a town. Here the railroad came directly from Malta, but there was but one train a day each way. The man went to the public stopping place and asked for a room, and boldly demanded a private place for his sister to rest a while. She is my little sister, he told himself in excuse for the word. She is my sister to care for. That is, if she were my sister, this is what I should want some good man to do for her. He smiled as he went on his way after leaving the girl to rest. The thought of a sister pleased him. The old woman at the ranch had made him careful for the girl who was thus thrown in his company. He rode down through the rough town to the railway station, but a short distance from the rude stopping place, and there he made inquiries concerning roads, towns, etc., in the neighboring locality, and sent a telegram to the friends with whom he had been hunting when he got lost. He said he would be at the next town about twenty miles away. He knew that by this time they would be back home and anxious about him, if they were not already sending out searching parties for him. His message read, Hit the trail, all right. Am taking a trip for my health. Send mail to me at... Then, after careful inquiry as to directions, and learning that there was more than one route to the town he had mentioned in his telegram, he went back to his companion. She was ready to go, for the presence of other people about her made her uneasy. She feared again there would be objection to their further progress together. Somehow the old woman's words had grown into a shadow which hovered over her. She mounted her horse gladly, and they went forward. He told her what he had just done, and how he expected to get his mail the next morning when they reached the next town. He explained that there was a ranch halfway there where they might stop all night. She was troubled at the thought of another ranch. She knew there would be more questions, and perhaps other disagreeable words said, but she held her peace, listening to his plans. Her wonder was great over the telegram. 
She knew little or nothing about modern discoveries. It was a mystery to her how he could receive word by morning from a place that it had taken them nearly two days to leave behind. And how had he sent a message over a wire? Yes, she had heard of telegrams, but had never been quite sure they were true. When he saw that she was interested, he went on to tell her of other wonderful triumphs of science, the telephone, the electric light, gas, and the modern system of waterworks. She listened as if it were all a fairy tale. Sometimes she looked at him and wondered whether it could be true, or whether he were not making fun of her. But his earnest, honest eyes forbade doubt. At the ranch they found two women, a mother and her daughter. The man asked frankly whether they could take care of this young friend of his overnight, saying that she was going on to the town in the morning and was in his care for the journey. This seemed to relieve all suspicion. The two girls eyed each other and then smiled. "'I'm Myrtle Baker,' said the ranch owner's daughter. "'Come, I'll take you where you can wash your hands and face, and then we'll have some supper.' Myrtle Baker was a chatterer by nature. She talked incessantly, and though she asked many questions, she did not wait for half of them to be answered. Besides, the traveler had grown wary. She did not intend to talk about the relationship between herself and her traveling companion. There was a charm in Myrtle's company, which made the girl half regret leaving the next morning, as they did quite early, amid protests from Myrtle and her mother, who enjoyed a visitor in their isolated home. But the ride that morning was constrained. Each felt, in some subtle way, that their pleasant companionship was coming to a crisis. Ahead in that town would be letters, communications from the outside world of friends, people who did not know or care what these two had been through together, and who would not hesitate to separate them with a firm hand. Neither put this thought into words, but it was there in their hearts, in the form of a vague fear. They talked very little, but each was feeling how pleasant the journey had been, and dreading what might be before. They wanted to stay in this utopia of the plains, forever journeying together, and never reaching any troublesome futures where were laws and opinions by which they must abide. But the morning grew bright, and the road was not half long enough. Though at the last they walked their horses, they reached the town before the daily train had passed through. They went straight to the station, and found that the train was an hour late. But a telegram had arrived for the man. He took it nervously, his fingers trembling. He felt a premonition that it contained something unpleasant. The girl sat on her horse by the platform, watching him through the open station door where he was standing as he tore open the envelope. She saw a deathly pallor overspread his face, and a look of anguish, as if an arrow had pierced his heart. She felt as if the arrow had gone on into her own heart, and then she sat and waited. It seemed hours before he glanced up, with an old, weary look in his eyes. The message read, Your mother, seriously ill, wants you immediately. Will send your baggage on morning train. Have wired you are coming. It was signed by his cousin, with whom he had been taking his hunting trip, and who was bound by business to go further west within a few days more. The strong young man was almost bowed under this sudden stroke. His mother was very dear to him. He had left her well and happy. He must go to her at once, of course. But what should he do with the girl, 
who had within the last two days taken so strong a hold upon his he hesitated and called it protection that word would do in the present emergency then he looked and saw her own face pale under the tan and stepped out to the platform to tell her end of chapter seven